You're listening to the Take Your Shop podcast, a podcast for wedding photographers and videographers looking to grow and scale their business. I'm your host, Hallie Heather, and my goal is for you to walk away feeling empowered and inspired as you continue to build a business that you're passionate about and that serves both you and your clients well. So whether you're operating as a side hustle or you're looking for tips and tricks on how to improve and scale your business, you, my friend, are in the right place. You don't have to figure it all out on your own, and I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Take Your Shot podcast. Today, we've got Abby Oslin on from Duo Collective, and we're going to be talking about how to help your website rank on Google. Abby, would you like to take a quick minute to just introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, I'd love to. Thanks for having me. I am one half of the Duo Collective, so my other half is Courtney Peterson, and together we make up this organic marketing agency. I am specifically on the SEO side, and Courtney is on the branding side. So we focus specifically on helping our clients organically grow their business without spending money on ads. And that's through having a good brand that helps you raise awareness, resonate with your customer, be more memorable, all the things, and then helping you rank higher and get traffic without having to pay for ads or pay for you know Instagram ads or whatever it may be to drive that traffic to your website. So that's that's what we do. I love that so much. And would you mind walking us through a little bit about just like your background on like what exactly drew you into this field? Like how did you get here? What's your passion in terms of how you how you started doing this? Yes, this is these stories can get so long. I'll do my best shortened version of it. So Court and I both used to work in the agency world. We worked at the same agency on the same client. So that's how we got to know each other and how we broke off and started doing our own thing. Court always worked on the design side. I always worked on the client side. So it melded very well and translated very well into what we do now for our business. So we started there, really loved the agency. I mean, we loved what we were doing until we didn't, but it just kind of grew there. I was doing blog writing on the side, actually, for a travel blogger. And I had this aspiration to, and then Courtney was doing design work on the side and freelance work for some local businesses and things like that. So we were both doing our own thing and we kind of got together at one point and we were like, why don't we do what we do now for smaller businesses and entrepreneurs and just kind of bring them together? So that's when we started doing Duo and we started doing all the things that we did at our marketing agency. So we'd touch everything. We'd touch social media. We'd do custom plans. I don't think we ever dabbled in ads and that's kind of where we slowly found our niche not to say that ads are bad and we don't ever say that running ads is a bad thing. We have just seen that when you have lower budgets and when you're just getting started, or even when you're a few years in, if you do not have a solid organic foundation and you're not driving traffic organically to your website, you're kind of throwing money away at ads because you don't know what's working for you yet. Whereas if you have a solid organic foundation Now you can capitalize on what you already know is working well for you. And that's where ads really find their true value. So that just working with our clients, we kind of found that niche of organic and building in that space. And then knowing our own specialties, really loving the SEO side. I'm completely self-taught. So I didn't go to school for SEO. I didn't do SEO at my old agency, actually. I started writing blogs. I started learning about all the things that it takes to rank on Google and then slowly 
it started working and then I started doing it for clients and it was working and the more it worked, the better it was. And it was just something that gradually grew. And now that is what I do every day in and out. (laughs) That's seriously so awesome. And I think it's so cool how you two pair the two together because oftentimes you see it happening where you know, someone will have a beautiful website, but it's not ranking for FCO or someone's ranking for SEO, but it's not necessarily a cohesive brand that really draws people in. And so sure, you might be getting traffic to your site, but it's not engaging and strategic in a way where you're actually marrying the two in a way that works. And so I think it's really cool and strategic on your guys' part that you guys are kind of in that special niche because that is serving people so well, especially small business owners. And you really hit the nail on the head with just like the value of organic search versus paid search, because you do want to figure out what's working, especially when you're just starting out. And once you kind of hit that rhythm, you can always scale with ads. But to start with just the basics and foundations is so cool. So ah, I'm so glad that you're here today. So I guess in terms of like talking through what we're talking about today, which is how to rank on Google, would you want to talk through maybe just some of the common mistakes that you see? So for example, what would be like one of the first mistakes that you see business owners not doing in terms of ranking? Yeah. So the very first thing that I see for my clients is typically we're missing a crucial tool. And I am the queen of keeping things jargon free. I do not want to talk and throw a bunch of jargon and like throw a bunch of words at you that freak you out. So I'll do my best to kind of break things down very easily. But the there's a specific tool that most of my clients are missing and that's Google Search Console. So a lot of times we confuse all the Google tools because there's Google Analytics, there's your Google Business Profile, how you show up on Maps, and then Google Search Console. So there's three different tools that you should have, but Google Search Console specifically is a tool that allows you to see how you are showing up on Google. So it's all about how your website shows up on Google. And we miss this step. We just miss the step of actually getting this thing set up because it's actually, it can feel complicated because the tool connects on the back end to wherever your domain is. So where did you buy www dot whatever it is, wherever you bought that is where you need to connect it to Google Search Console. So if that's super terrifying to you in setting and connecting that up, you can actually skip it all together. So when you go to the tool, Google Search Console, there's two ways you can sign up with your domain or with your URL prefix. Again, if that word means nothing to you, that's totally okay. Click the URL prefix sign, plug in your website, make sure you copy your website exactly from the browser, put it there, and then you're in the tool. And that's it. But this tool allows you to put in all of the pages of your website. You can literally copy and paste all the pages of your website and it will tell you if that page shows up on Google. And half the time, if we're not getting any traffic from Google at all, it's because Google doesn't even know we're there. We don't show up. We don't exist. And unless you tell Google, hey, I'm here, here's my website, Google isn't going to find it. So it's this whole, if you build it, they will come that doesn't happen. Like we build our website and then we forget this crucial tool that we need to actually say, Hey Google, I'm here. And that's what this tool is. So this is the tool that I find most of my clients are missing. And that's especially like, even if it's like our homepage shows up, but none of my blogs do, this is the tool you can use to tell Google about all of your blogs too. So it's a super, super powerful tool and it's free. 
incredible. And we all love free, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) For sure. So, okay, let's kind of step it back a little bit. So someone signs up for Google Search Console. They link their website. And you said that they use this to kind of tell Google that they're here. What would be their next step once they kind of set up the account? Like, do they have to uh, do something specific with each web page? Does it crawl the site? Do you mind kind of walking through Mm -hmm. what exactly they need to do once they get this set up? Yeah. So the first thing I would do is on the left-hand side, you'll see a spot that says sitemap. The first thing I would do is import your sitemap. This is literally just a map of your whole website. And you'll find this by going to your website. You'll do forward slash, and then you'll do sitemap.xml. Hit enter, and then it shows you exactly what your sitemap is. So sometimes there'll be multiple URLs there that you can copy and then input into Google Search Console in the sitemap section. Other times that is your sitemap. It's just that URL forward slash sitemap.xml. And then you put that in there and then you'll see that it gives you a little check mark or green, whatever it is. And then it tells you how many pages it identified. So it'll say, I it's identified 60 pages. So then you know, like, oh, does that sound about right? Do I have about, you know, maybe six core pages and 50 some blogs? Like, okay, that makes sense. Um So doing that is basically giving Google the map to your website. So that's super important. When you first set it up, you're not going to have any data in there. But over time, you'll start to see the data accumulate. And it's going to tell you things like, here's how, here are the keywords people are searching for to find your website. Is someone just seeing my website, which is called an impression? Or are they clicking through to my website, which will be called a click? So now you can start to see, here's the keywords people are using to find me, and here's the keywords that are driving traffic. So if I go look at mine, Duo Collective is usually like the number one traffic driver, right? People searching for my name, yeah, they should be able to find me. So that's great. But I'll also see things like conferences for entrepreneurs because I have a blog post about conferences for entrepreneurs, and that's how people find me. I'll see other blog posts or other things like organic marketing. And like you'll start to see those things that drive traffic to your website, which really helps you understand how people are finding you, if they're staying, like, are they consuming your content? What content is most important? Like, it just really helps you kind of dictate what you should continue doing or creating for your website. That's so great. That's so great. And was that was that what you just explained, the process of indexing, or is that a different thing? Yeah. So indexing, basically Google, once you put your sitemap in there, Google will eventually find all of your pages, like over time. You just don't know, like, how quickly they're going to do that. Usually if your website is being, like if you're creating content regularly, Google will crawl, which is basically, it's like little robots inside your computer that just crawl your page to like grab all the words and put them in their file cabinet so they can serve you when someone searches for it, Um, which is a weird picture, but that's basically how it works. So you can also say like, okay, Google doesn't actually know about this page. So you can take your URL at the top of Google Search Console. There's just a search bar. You paste it in there, hit enter. It will say this page is indexed or this page is not. And then there'll just be a button there that says request indexing. And now you've just told Google, hey, take your little robots, go to my page, crawl it, and then put me in your file cabinet so you can serve me later. So that's what that is. You can only do a certain amount a day. So sometimes people find this tool and they're like, whoa, I have so many blogs to crawl. So they go through and they start crawling all the things. And then they get this big thing where it's like, you can't crawl anymore. Like it'll block you. So you can only do a certain number a day and then just come back 24 hours later and you can do it again. 
Cool. And as a part of like a process, do you recommend in the blogging process, every time you create a new page on your website or blog, do you recommend doing this indexing right away? Or is it, does it happen once you kind of get going where it'll just naturally happen? What do you recommend? I recommend doing it right away, but I mean, I, I say that myself and I don't remember every single time I post a blog. So sometimes I'll be like, oh, I haven't done this for a while. So then I'll go in and do a couple at a time. It's a really good part of the process. It helps your stuff get indexed faster and then it can start working for you faster. So I definitely recommend it. Knowing that your sitemap is in there, you can kind of rest assured that eventually Google will find it. But if you want something to be indexed quicker, I would definitely manually do it. Cool. Cool. That's super helpful. And for people who maybe Google search console is super new to them, they are just learning about indexing and sitemaps for the first time. Definitely. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So take these things in, in chunks, but would you have any recommendations for other ways that you can be using or utilizing Google search console that maybe is underutilized by many people? Yeah, honestly, once you have it set up, you don't even have to go in there if it's like terrifying to you. Google will actually send you an email once a month with insights of how things are performing. They'll tell you your top performing pages. They'll tell you your top performing keywords. It'll just give you a quick oversight and their insights are actually like in a really like visually friendly way to look at. So I think that is what I would just make sure you're consuming that like every month when you get that email, look at it and actually see what's working for you. Because if the tool feels scary, that can be a really good place to start. And luckily that just happens naturally. Once you sign up for it, you'll start getting monthly emails. One of the things that can feel a little bit scary when you first sign up for it is you'll get a bunch of emails saying these pages are not indexing or indexing errors. And that can feel really scary, but you probably won't have all the pages of your website indexed anyways. Like for example, I don't want my legal and privacy policy page index. Like I do that on purpose. So those pages, it's really good to like go in and look at what the error is, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. So don't let those emails for you because you'll get a bunch of those right when you first sign up. Cool. Are there any other errors that you might get other than just like indexing? Like for example, I don't know, maybe like web page or links are broken. Does it tell you anything else other than indexing? Yep. Yeah. So it'll tell you they're all called indexing errors because that's what it is basically. But the errors will tell you kind of what, like there's all different reasons that you won't index. I, some of them are like, yeah, 404 page. Some of them could be, it thinks that it's duplicated content. So a very common thing that I've seen amongst in the photography industry, I'd say in general is the idea to duplicate a page for different cities or so like you have photography services in the Twin Cities, photography services in Minnesota, photography services in St. Paul, and you duplicate the same page multiple times. This is like a really old school strategy that for some reason has really stuck in the photography industry. Well, that is something that is duplicated content. Google knows they're smarter than us, you know, like they know that this is duplicated content. So it's only going to index one of those pages and all the other pages aren't going to get indexed and you don't get to choose. Google chooses. So that could show up, things like that. So you just want to monitor, monitor it and make sure that your content is authentic and like good and you're not trying to like trick Google or rank higher with these like old school tactics. So you'll see some of those errors in there. The good thing is that all of those errors, you can basically 
there's articles on Google Search Console blog that will like walk you through what the error means. Like there's so many different reasons why things are happening. And I would say if you have like a ton of indexing errors that feel really overwhelming, that's when you might want to bring in like a specialist to kind of dig into it and see what's going on. Because there could be things within your website that are kind of causing problems. When you're talking about duplicating pages as more of an old school strategy, do you recommend doing something else? How do you navigate that if someone wants to have multiple pages, maybe ranking four different cities? Yeah. So no, definitely don't duplicate it because you'll run into this problem where it won't get indexed anyways. And then what's the point? You just duplicated a page that no one's going to find. And the whole point was to help you get found. And also it can kind of ding you too. It could be a sign of poor content, which then will affect how you show up and rank overall. So I usually recommend, and one of the things I do with my clients is like to one, do the keyword research of like what cities are most important Because a lot of times we try to rank for everything where we don't realize that, okay, I really want to rank for this one city, but actually the city is bringing in like the lowest search volume. No one's searching for that. Let's really capitalize on the cities that drive the most traffic as long as it's relevant. Like it still needs to be relevant for you, right? If the city that drives the most traffic you hate going to, then don't do that. Like still, still be true to your brand and business. So that is basically what I'd recommend first is like understanding like what people are searching for and then just using that one page to speak to it. So I usually recommend like in headlines, like especially when it comes to photography, like having a main headline of like photography services in Minnesota, whatever. And then maybe you have a headline underneath it that says Twin Cities, St. Paul, you know, Minneapolis, whatever the other cities are, East Metro, like whatever else you want to put in there and doing the services, the cities that you serve as a sub headline. So you have all those keywords in there. They're all getting indexed, but you're not doing it in a way that is like trying to cheat the system, if that makes sense. Totally. That makes total sense. And I, and I think this really translates well into just kind of talking about the next topic, which is all about headline tags and keyword headlines. Do you mind talking more about the mistakes people make when it comes to keyword research and just structuring their websites in general? Yeah. So a huge thing that I see often, and this, honestly, it isn't our fault. You can blame all the website platforms for this. It's ignoring heading tags. So you likely have like, you'll, you'll, when you hear this, you'll be like, oh yeah, I've seen those before. So every headline on your website, regardless of what website platform you use, Squarespace, show it, Shopify, whatever, all of the pages will give you a heading tag and it'll be like heading one, heading two, heading three. You'll see those and then you'll choose them because it's like, oh, heading one is really big. Heading two is a little bit smaller. Heading three is this unscript font. And so you choose your headings based on how you want them designed because that's how the websites are all built. All websites except show it do this. It drives me crazy because you now think that heading tags are only important for a design style. Whereas heading tags are actually structured on the back end to tell Google about what is the most important content on your website. So heading one is the most important content piece on your website. And you should only use that one time per page. Heading two, second most important. Heading three, third most important. You can use those multiple times. Heading one's the only one that you want to use once. More often than not, I see people not using heading one at all because they're like, heading one is giant. And they're like, I don't want to use it. It's like this giant text on my page. So we've just missed a massive opportunity to tell Google what the most important thing is on your website because you're not using a heading tag one. 
So that is like problem number one. And then I'd say for show it, the heading tags are specifically hidden in a text tag on like the right-hand side when you're doing that. So oftentimes people just don't even look there. Like we don't even look for a tag. The good thing about show it is show it does not make, it doesn't tie design styles to your heading tags. So you can design it however you want and then label a heading tag for it. We just forget a lot of times. So that's a huge missed opportunity. So usually just making sure that you're using your keywords, the main keywords. I want that to be your heading one on your homepage. Like, I don't care how you do it. If you want to add fluffy words around it, or if you want to do, make it really fun and playful, or if you just want it to stay straightforward, but you should use your keywords in an H1 heading tag on the core pages of your website. That is super important. Seriously though, that's so good. And I think that's a really good point. And just knowing that different Website hosts are going to do it differently, but I think just not staying away from doing that H1, just knowing the critical aspects of it. So maybe that's looking at your design or looking at different things, but figuring out a way to make H1 work for you, that's huge. So thank you so much for sharing that. And then I guess when it comes to like figuring out, okay, what should my keyword be or what should I make my headlines? Do you have any tools or processes that you recommend for figuring out just what exactly to do when it comes to keyword research or headline tags? Yeah. So when it comes to keyword research, there's so many different tools out there you can use. The tool I usually recommend the most is Ubersuggest. You get three free searches a day. So you can do some searches on there for free, test it out, see how it's working. They also have lifetime plans. So I believe their lowest plan, you pay 200 bucks and you get to use the tool for life. You're not paying monthly. You're not paying anymore. So if you regularly blog or want to continue regularly blogging, or that's a goal for you this year, Highly recommend it because it's a great tool to use. One of my favorite things about it is sometimes we don't even know where to start. Like in our head, we're like, what are people searching for? I have no idea. You can actually take your competitor's URLs and you can plug them into Ubersuggest and it will tell you what keywords drive traffic for them. That can be a great place to start is like starting with your competitors because then you can get some ideas and then the tool will allow you to click on keywords and go to related keywords and like start building off of that to kind of filled, fill up what makes sense for you. There's so many tools out there. We have, I can send you a link for it. We have four different keyword research tools that we use that I'm, that I can share with you guys so that you guys can kind of dig into which ones are your favorite. Cause there's a lot out there in the world, but you don't need to spend a billion dollars and have these like fancy keyword research tools you can kind of just get started with something simpler or you can even just get started with Google because sometimes just starting to Google your keywords can help you understand what else is showing up and Google will tell you related words and other like related things for free just as you're searching that you can kind of consume and use for yourself too. So that was, that was, you just dropped a bomb of information here. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like even that is just enough to work off of, which is so great. And I know that there are a lot of different like do's and don'ts when it comes to keyword. I know keyword stuffing is a thing and also making sure that you don't have com competitive pages against each other. So do you have any like strategies for effectively incorporating your keywords into your website without compromising readability or compromising the algorithm with Google or anything like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't overthink it. <laughs> honestly. honestly, that's like my biggest piece of advice. It's an old school method to think you have to use a keyword a certain number of times. Honestly, like that is no longer a thing. You no longer need to use Minnesota wedding photographer 15,000 times on your homepage. Like that's not necessary. 
it is more important that you are being authentic for your audience. So it should feel natural. Usually what I tell people is know the keyword you're writing for before you start writing the content, because that will help you more naturally integrate it throughout your copy. It's more important for you to use them in the right places. So I want you to use them in a headline, like a high heading tag. So try to use them in a high heading tag. And then I want you to put it in your URL slug if you can. So like maybe you have a wedding, a photography services page, for example, and it's just forward slash services. Can you do like wedding photography services? Like, can you make that just a little bit longer? I don't want you to get spammy. Like don't overkill it. I don't want you to do that on every single page, but maybe your service page is one good example. Don't do it on like about wedding photographer blog or, you know, like don't start adding it into every single page, but a couple here and there can be really good. And then using it in your SEO title too. So that is basically that blue clickable link that shows up on Google, using it there. If you don't use it anywhere else and you only use it in your SEO title, I guarantee you, you will see a difference in that. Like SEO titles are so powerful. So I would rather you, if you're only going to use it twice, put it in the headline and put it in your SEO title and be done with it. Like those would make the biggest impact for you. Cool. And how, how important is it for like image titles? Is that a big factor in ranking on Google or is that kind of irrelevant in like an older thought process? It's not irrelevant. It's definitely lower on my priority list. I'd say it is a factor that hasn't been officially confirmed as a ranking factor, but it's known to be one. I would also say, especially in visual industries, like products, photography, videography, like different things where people are searching in the image section of Google, super important because that's how those images show up there. They show up there because they have some data behind them, which is your alt text um, written behind the image that helps Google understand it. So Google only understands words. They can't actually understand your images unless you give them a little bit more information about it. So my favorite thing to do if you struggle with alt text is to actually use ChatGPT and to take, if you're using the paid version of ChatGPT, it's even better because you can literally take a screenshot of your image upload it to ChatGPT and ChatGPT will tell you what your alt text should be. And they make it Hmm. so easy. And they do such a good job of describing the image because first and foremost, your alt text should be describing the image for someone who is visually impaired. Like that is what you should be using it for. So that needs to happen first. But then can you also describe the image in the context of where it is on your page? So for example, like for us, we're service-based industry. So we have a lot of like fluffy image images that might be like someone holding a laptop. Like, you know, it's not really like an image that's of too much importance, but I can describe the image by saying like someone holding a laptop representing SEO optimization packages. Like now I've Hmm. described the image and I've also described it in the context of where it is on my website. So doing both of those things is super important because again, you don't want to be like keyword stuffing everything into this alt text to the point that someone who's visually impaired using this tool for its intended purpose is like, what the heck is going on? (laughs) So that's super important. Man, that's so cool. And I love how you incorporate AI into that too, because that is something I feel like is definitely underutilized, which could probably be a topic topic for another day, but (laughs) that is so good. 
And I think just like, I think what you said there was also really good of just like bringing it back to the intent for like what it was used for. Because like the intent for Google is to help people find the most relevant search, right? And so if you're trying to do a bunch of keyword stuffing or just like trying to hack the system and not use it for what it's intended for, like Google will figure that out. So I love how you are just bringing it back to the basics of just the importance of user intent, the importance of what Google is made for and just how it should be used because there aren't these like get visibility quick da, 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 like kind of tricks right like it's all about mm-hmm. doing it authentically and i just love that you guys stay true to that because i think we live in a world where there's just like instant gratification and here's this hack and da, da, it's, i just love how straightforward like you are with all of this which is yeah. so great <laughs> oh yeah yeah seo can be a very like industry that feels yucky like unfortunately there's a lot of yuck in it and a lot of people who still give really really bad advice and i would say like the best just use your own internal radar. Like if it feels gross, it probably is. And then don't do it. Like organic, good SEO should feel good. Like you should feel good when you do it. And if you don't feel good, it's likely something that isn't right anymore. So it can be hard to decipher. Totally, totally. But I just love that about you guys. So thanks so much well, for thank that. thank you. <laughs> That's my um, goal. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So we have one more kind of topic we want to talk about. So do you mind talking about the final mistake that you see when it comes to people not ranking on Google? Yeah. So I talked a little bit about SEO titles. So overall, there's something called metadata. All this is, is your SEO title and your meta description. So if you go to a Google search page and you search wedding photographer, you'll see these blue links that link through to the website and then underneath it, this black text. So the blue links are SEO titles. The black text is a meta description. You can write this for every single page of your website. It just depends on where your website is and where you have to go to find it. But honestly, you can just Google it and be like, Squarespace, where's my metadata? Where's my SEO title? Where's my meta description? And they'll walk you through exactly where to find it for those pages. So making sure that you write unique metadata for every single page is so important because if this is duplicated across your pages, that again can classified as duplicated content. And then all of a sudden Google isn't showing you it. So that is super important. So making sure that you're writing those uniquely is one of the best ways to make sure that that page can actually get found. And if you update these, then you can actually go and crawl them so that Google gets the new content crawled because that's usually the biggest thing is that you make the update and you need to wait a couple of days because it takes time for Google to crawl and re-index all of that new stuff that you've written. That's so good. And when someone is, you know, crafting their metadata for each page, you mentioned kind of making sure that each one of them is different. What would happen if like, let's say you have a blog post on like a wedding venue and let's say you sh- shoot there two different times. How would you decipher or made a, maybe like utilize the content in a way where it's not going to like compete with each other? So I don't know if that's metadata related or mm-hmm. keyword related, but like what would be, because I feel like that's a really common thing for wedding photographers. It's like, oh, I've shot at this wedding venue five times. How do I incorporate that in my blog without, you know, having my keywords and pages compete with each other and all the beta- metadata and stuff? Yeah, that is a good question. So you will likely be using that same keyword. Like say the keyword you're using for that blog post or that portfolio piece is the wedding venue. You need to think in your head, how can I differentiate this? How is this different than that other blog? Is it a different season? Is it, did they have different like details? 
every wedding is unique in its own way. So you just need to start to pull that out. You can still use the same keyword, like definitely still use the same keyword, but make sure it's differentiated and that it's clearly differentiated. So you just need to pull out those other details because like you said, if you are using the same keyword and it's just like a lot of times we'll be like, this venue, these couples names, that's not really going to benefit you because the couple's names aren't searchable and what's different, like what's different to Google in terms of that venue? Like, can you explain it in a different way? Even if it's just like a fall or summer, like now you have two different seasons. This makes sense because people will probably be searching for that venue for their specific season that they're looking at. So now you've just made it more searchable and differentiated. So that is super important to make sure that you're doing that. One thing I'd also say too is like, So when you're writing your SEO titles and your meta descriptions, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to like write them perfect. SEO titles are ranking factors. So how you write that will determine where you sit on a Google search page. Meta descriptions are not. So however you write your meta description, it's actually not going to determine where you sit on a page. All it's used for is conversion. If someone is browsing that page and they're seeing all these blue links and clicking, like clicking through to them, they might read that meta description to help give them more information and help entice them to click through. So you should be writing those like an ad, like a paid ad. Like what Mm -hmm. is it that you're going to tell them about this page that makes them want to click? Because a lot of times we leave these empty and then Google's just going to pull the first couple lines of your blog, which usually are not click worthy pieces of information. So making sure you're actually spending the time to think like what's going to make someone really want to click on this, that is what the purpose of this is for, is to actually drive conversion. I think that's such a good distinction. And I'm really glad you made that because I think people are probably thinking, oh, I have to have the keyword in here and here and here. And and I think that that can be really losing the intent of it. So thanks so much for like clarifying that because I think there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people listening who are like, oh man, like I didn't know that. I thought I had to like put my keywords in there again and this and that. So I love that. And I love how you described it as kind of like a mini ad because you want to make it enticing. So that's Mm -hmm. so good. So much strategy here. Before we wrap up, what advice would you have for someone listening who maybe isn't quite where to sure where to start or maybe feels a little overwhelmed with all this? Yeah, it's a lot of information and it can feel overwhelming. I like really just take it one step at a time. If you do anything coming out of this episode, it's I want you to have Google Search Console set up. One thing, you will feel so good about yourself after you do it too. So it's something that won't take you that long. Set aside 10, 15 minutes to go and set it up. Um, after you set that up, now you know that you can look up at, at any point. You can go in and look up your pages and how they're performing. And you'll start getting those insights and those emails. So even if you set it up and then you run away because you're scared of it, that's totally fine. You'll get those emails, you'll get those insights, and you'll have some information that you can start working towards. And then one of the things that we just started too this year is every Friday, we share a little SEO nugget with our email list about one thing you can do to better your SEO. So if you need any motivation, I try to keep those like 10 minutes, like definitely sign up for that. It will help you just take it one step at a time because it can feel like so much information. But if you just keep doing one thing after one thing after one thing, you will truly start to see differences. So don't don't go too crazy. Like if you want to do all the things I talked about today, awesome, please do it. I'll give you a gold star. But if you want to do one thing because you're overwhelmed, just sign up for Google Search Console. Yeah. For anyone listening, be sure to check out the Duo Collective. Abby, where can they find you? What types of resources and services do you offer in case they want to learn more? 
Yeah, so many. So duocollective.com is where all the things exist. So you can head there. We're also on Instagram at duo.collective. And we have our own podcast. We talk all about organic marketing and all the things of running a business. Court and I do that. So that is Duo on Air. I'll make sure that I send you the links so that people can kind of get that free keyword tool guide. And then also the link to sign up to our, we call it the quick SEO squeeze. So that comes every Friday. That's amazing. I love that. Let's join the squeeze, everyone. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much, Abby, for coming on the show today. And for those of you listening, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Take Your Shot podcast. If you found this podcast helpful or insightful, we would absolutely be honored if you could take a moment to leave us a review on whichever platform you're listening on. If you have any friends who you think would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. And lastly, we absolutely love connecting with you all on social media. You can find us using the links below in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week.